This morning, I'm going to share a message called Unforgotten with you. Um, one of our sayings here at North Place is that we believe that God has called us to forgotten people uh, from forgotten places. And the reason, uh, the reason we say that is because we believe that it lines up with the heart, the character, the nature of God. We believe that God uh, is a God who a- actually doesn't forget. Uh, we believe that um, according to God, no one is forgotten. Jesus so many times expressed the Father's heart and in so many ways uh, made it very, very clear that, that he came for everyone. Um, in fact, one day Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples and he was talking to them about being afraid. He, he was talking about uh, some of the dangers that they were facing or they felt like they were going to face. And he made it very clear to them, uh, God, is, God is mindful of you. He knows everything about you. He knows every detail. In fact, God is so mindful of you that he even knows, he even knows the number of hair that's on your head. That's, that's how much you're not forgotten. That's how closely the Father in heaven is paying attention to you. Now, for some of us, he's not having to work as hard now as he used to. The Father is mindful of us. He's mindful of you. In the kingdom, in his kingdom, no one is forgotten. At North Place, we believe no one is forgotten. And I want, I want to talk a few minutes today about the fact that in the kingdom of God, according to God, no one is forgotten. In fact, I would say this, God specializes in finding people that others, that everybody have left behind, that life has left behind, that circumstances and situations are left behind. I think the testimony of Scripture shows over and over and over again that our God is a God of the orphans, that he is a God who seeks out those that have been lost or, or that have felt or believed that they're forgotten and that he finds them. He specializes in finding them. In John chapter 3 and 4, there's a very, uh, very interesting parallel that happens. In, in John chapter 3, uh, of course, you remember there's a story of Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, uh, was a religious man, was a part of the Sanhedrin, was a religious ruler. And, and then in, in, in John chapter 4, you remember it's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And you can read those stories separately, but... But if you if you you'll study your Bible in context, and we, we encourage you to do that, to really read your Bible in context, and don't just pull out verses of Scripture and, and make a meme out of it or a bumper sticker, but really read Scripture as it was written and intended to be understood. What you see that John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 are actually a very interesting parallel. It's an interesting parallel between a, a two different people who are at extreme ends of culture and on the other hand, you have a, a woman who would have been uh, an outcast from Jewish religion. She would have been an outcast even among the, her own Samaritans. And so you have two people who are at polar opposite ends of culture and society, certainly uh, accepted acceptance of God. And yet both of them you see in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 are searching for something. 
Both of them are looking for something. And, and, and you have this interesting parallel between Nicodemus who finds Jesus at night and the Samaritan woman who finds Jesus in the middle of the day. Have you ever noticed that before? This wealthy, powerful, religious man who's looking and has questions that are uncomfortable for Jesus and then on the other hand, you have this irreligious or at least this woman who would have been a reject of, of Jewish religion and she has questions that are uncomfortable for Jesus. And what you see in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is the story of two people that are searching, that are looking, and yet God has not forgotten them. And most significantly, God has not disqualified them. God didn't disqualify Nicodemus for being religious. He didn't, he didn't disqualify the woman for having been married five times and now living with a, another man. Jesus didn't disqualify them. In fact, he shared the gospel with both of them. He took time to engage their questions. He took time to engage what they were looking for. He took time to help them to understand that they had not been forgotten by speaking to what was in their heart. I think sometimes uh, we do this a lot in South Africa. Uh, people uh, will see people and, you know, just as a part of our, our culture, we say, hi, how are you? And before they ever even start answering the how are you, we start, I'm fine. <laughs> Those of you who are not nodding your head, you need to just go ahead and get with us this morning because we all do it. It's just like this social contract that we have and and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what culture you are. We all do it. We just do it in different languages, but we all do it. The same cultural exchange. And yet, what we see in this exchange with Jesus and Nicodemus and Jesus with the woman at the well, he actually took time to engage them and their heart. And I wonder, I wonder how many times we go through the motions as the church uh, through engaging people, hi, how are you, bless you, or whatever, but we really don't take time to listen to them and to engage them and to process what's in their heart. I, I don't really believe you, you see people until you listen to people. I, I really don't. Uh, just acknowledging that we see them doesn't mean that we really see them. And here, here are these two people, extreme ends of culture and society, parallel, one at night, one in the middle of the day, for whatever reason, and yet Jesus engages them because he wants them to understand, I hear you, I see you, you're not forgotten. Whenever I read these two stories, I look at two people, both were searching, both had questions, and both were given opportunity to find and to be to be found. And, and I don't know how you came into this room today. Maybe you came in and you're a lot like Nicodemus, uh, maybe you're religious and you've done all the right things and you've, you, you've, you go through the motions, you know the rules, you follow the rules, and yet in the middle of the following of the rules, you still have deep heart questions that haven't been answered yet. If that's you today, I want, I want you to hear me. This message is for you. God sees you exactly where you are. You're not forgotten. He hasn't seen all the hard work that you've done. He hasn't seen you follow the rules all of your life. And he hasn't, he hasn't forgot you in your doing. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're like the woman at the well. Maybe you're on this other 
fringe or end of society in which things have happened in your life. And, and I know a lot of times we read this story and, and, and people act like, well, she's an adulterer. She's done all this, this stuff. You, we, scripture doesn't tell us how, how come she's been married five times. Who knows? All five of those dudes may have died. We don't know. Um, I, I think in our, well, in our biases, we just make these judgments about this woman because she's living with this six man. We don't know why she's in this situation, but what we do know is that she's in this situation and, and that this situation has affected her, her, her life in such a way that she's at the well in the middle of the day instead of the morning with the rest of the women. We understand something has gone in her life that has caused her to be on the fringe of society. Maybe you're like that. Maybe it's because of choices and decisions you made. Maybe it's because of choices and decisions that other people have made. Maybe all five of those husbands beat her and kicked her out of the house. We have no idea what got her there. All we know is she was there. Maybe, maybe you're not like Nicodemus. Maybe you're you're like her, and you're there in the middle of the day. I believe also this message is for you today. You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. In this moment that you're in, and the questions that you have, and the things that ache in your heart, the Father sees you, and he wants to engage your questions. Let me read from John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10 to you. Uh, you probably know the story of the woman at the well, but I, I'm just going to read part of it this morning because there's some things that I believe we need to see. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What a, what a just crazy exchange that Jesus has with this woman. Hey, give me, give me something to drink. The woman is shocked. What, what are you doing as a, as a Jewish man? What are you doing speaking to me? Do you, do you understand who I am? Do you really know what's going on? How are you asking me for a drink? And, and then Jesus kind of breaks through and it's like if you if you knew who I was if you knew the moment that 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 you were in it wouldn't it wouldn't be that you would be talking to me about what I should and shouldn't be doing instead you would be asking me and I I would be giving you something to drink I I love this story for so many reasons but I love it because what I see in this story I see throughout scripture and that is this, scripture indicates that God has a special place in his heart for marginalized people. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the story of God is a story of God reaching out to people who are on the fringes. Psalms chapter 10, verses 17 through 18 says this, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Over and over and over again throughout scripture, 
God talks about, or scripture talks about how God reaches out to the orphan, how he reaches out to the widow, how he reaches out to the marginalized. The story of the gospel is the story of God stepping out of eternity and stepping into our existence where he didn't, where, where, where he didn't belong, where his glory would have, would, have been, would have been on the outside of it and he came into it, he rushed in and he said, I'm gonna come and find you where you are in your brokenness. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you're Nicodemus this morning. It doesn't matter if you're the woman at the well. Every single one of us are here today. We're in this moment because God came searching for us. Because he looked at us in our lostness and he loved us. He came and he said, I love you. I want you. I desire you. When we serve the marginalized, when we serve those who are on the, who are on the fringes, who, who may feel as though they have been forgotten, we are aligning ourselves with the very heart of God. And, and you, may, you may be here today and you may feel like, well, that's not me. I had a mother and I had a father. But the truth is every single one of us in this room, for some reason or another, identify with that woman. We identify with Nicodemus. We identify with those children that we're going to serve this week. Every single one of us us are in need of a God who finds us. Every one of us have questions that cause us to feel fatherless, that cause us to feel abandoned, that cause us to feel forgotten, that cause us to feel terror and afraid. Yet the story of God is the story of a God who reaches out, a father who reaches out to his children and says, let me secure you in such a way that you feel terror no more. Just as I mentioned when I started the message today and Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, this is how much I want you to understand. You don't have to be afraid as I send you out. I, you don't have to be afraid as you're in relationship with me. Father knows the very number of hairs on your head. He's that aware of you. The Father wants you to know he's aware of you. I believe this story uh, teaches us that everyone, everywhere always matters. The story of the woman at the well, the story of Nicodemus teaches us that everyone, everywhere, always matters. I want to show you something. Whenever um, you go about your week this week in your daily 20, I want to encourage you to read John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 to really take your time and meditate on them this week because I think you're going to see, you're going to see this truth played out. When you look in John chapter 4... Um, what it says is that Jesus, from John chapter 3, Jesus had heard uh, that the Pharisees, probably because of his, uh, his, his thing that he had go on with Nicodemus, the Pharisees had found out what he was doing and about his miracles, and they were getting upset. And uh, somehow, uh, Jesus feels like, okay, well, what I'm doing here is going to be disrupted, and I'm going to move away. So we move out of John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, and Jesus and his disciples are are traveling, they have to travel into Samaria, which would have not been popular with Jesus, uh, his disciples. They would have not wanted to go into Samaria because they were very racist and biased towards the Samaritans. And yet Jesus says, no, we need to go there. They go to Samaria, but they go to Samaria because what they were doing was disrupted. What they were doing was inconvenienced. I, I, really, I really wanna ask you, let this, let this sink into you today. What they were doing, which was fruitful, was disrupted. And so as a result, they had to go to Samaria. What appeared to be distraction and a disruption was an appointment, was an eternal appointment because there was a woman 
and a city and a people that mattered to God. And you read there in chapter 4 that out of a disruption, Jesus travels there. Then get this, his, his crew that's traveling with him forgot the food. And they're hungry, so they stop at the well, and the boys have to go into town to buy food because they forgot the food or they didn't bring the food. For some reason, there was a problem in their administrative system. And so Jesus says, I'll, I'll hang out here at the well while you guys go and buy food. And yet, all of it was a setup. For this woman, which, oh, by the way, was a setup for a city of, of people that the Jewish people would have rejected and not ever wanted to have anything to do with. What appeared to be a distraction and a disruption and an inconvenience and a failure of a system actually was a divine plan. There's some of us for some of us this morning, we need to let this settle into our spirit because some of us get so flustered, so overwhelmed, so upset when things don't go as we planned them. Some of us possibly are missing moments that, that God has planned for us, quite possibly to share his love in the gospel because something didn't happen the way that we thought it was supposed to happen in our day. Holy Spirit has convicted me so much this week um, in, in preparation because, like, man, I got a plan. I got things I'm going to do. And I don't, this probably doesn't happen to any of you guys. But, man, it just seems like stuff goes wrong every day for me. <laughs> right? Stuff happens that are distractions or inconvenience or even probably no one on no one on my team does this. It's always my fault, not their. But people don't do what they're supposed to do, and then all of a sudden there's consequences for me. It's me. It's not them. It's always me. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, is that sinking in today? All of that happened. Think about it. Had, had those guys had the food... Would have they been at the well? Had the Pharisees not threatened Jesus, would they have even gone to Samaria? Can you understand how mindful your father is about you? He causes a disruption for himself so he can get to you. Think, let your mind like wrap around that for a second. He interrupts himself to get to you. He gets hungry, so he has to wait so he can meet you. Think about that for a second. Like, can your theology get that? So here he is at the well because everyone everywhere matters. Let me say this to you today. Everyone everywhere matters, whether it's the car guard, whether it's the lady who's inconvenienced you in line, whether it's the person who got in your way, whether it's the car that broke down, whether it's the mechanic who didn't repair your car correctly and so now you got to go back for the fourth time. Hello? Everyone everywhere matters. 
whether they're the rich man Nicodemus or they're the social outcast woman at the well. Everyone everywhere matters. To Jesus, everyone everywhere matters. Jesus made time for the rich man Nicodemus, but he also allowed himself to be inconvenienced for the woman at the well. That's who God is. That's the God we serve. That's the God who also has you in his mind and you in his heart. That's the God who has in the heart, in his heart and mind, every child that we'll serve this week. He allows himself to be inconvenienced. Listen, I want you to understand, we have two paths that we are on. Um, scripture, scripture makes it really clear. We either align with the heart of God or we align with the heart of the enemy. There is no in-between. We've taught this concept before, but I'm gonna repeat it today because it's foundational for us at North Place and, and, and you have to understand it if you understand what we are all about and what we believe that God believes about us and we believe about others because of what God believes about us. And that means we're either aligning ourselves with two mindsets, either regressive dignity, and that is the intentional and active choice to align with and to reduce a person to those things which are an expression of their brokenness. I'm either going to treat the woman at the well like the woman at the well. I'm going to treat her like somebody who's been married five times and living with a man, and I'm going to see all of the negative things about her, and I'm going to treat her that way. I'm going to look at my team when they do something wrong, and I'm going to lash out at them because they've inconvenienced me. I'm going to look at Nicodemus and say, oh, he's just a rich man, and he doesn't care about anybody, and I'm going to judge him that way, and I'm going to ignore his heartfelt question. I'm going to align with the heart of the enemy that sees the worst in people, about people, and I'm going to say, that's what I believe, and that's how I'm going to treat them. Or, on the other hand, instead of acting like the enemy, I'm going to align with the heart of God, and that is attributive dignity. That is the intentional and active choice to look past brokenness and see individuals as image bearers. While I call them into their glory, being in, the, being in the image of God, being the Imago Dei, I'm either going to be like the enemy who does everything to sabotage and align with people's hurt and brokenness. I'm going to believe the worst about people. Out of my mouth is going to come the worst about people. I'm going to think the worst about people. I'm going to assume the worst about people. Or I'm going to have the heart of Jesus. It says, when Nicodemus wants to meet with me at night, I'm not afraid to go to the meeting because I'm afraid he's going to set me up to get crucified. Instead, I can look past the fact that he's a Pharisee and I can see that he is a real man who has real heart questions and so I'm going to engage them. I'm not going to believe the worst about him as a Pharisee, as an uncaring, wealthy man. I'm not going to believe the worst about this woman. I know what's true about her, but I'm not going to align with that. I'm not going to get frustrated about her or with her. I'm going to answer her questions. The heart of God sees you for who you were created to be. And when I have the heart of God, I see others as image bearers. I align my mouth and my motives and my heart with who people have been created to be in the image of God. You see, the heart of God is to move past our brokenness, is to found forgotten people and to bring them into their, their identity as those who are known. Those who are known because they are in the image of God. John chapter four, verses 13 through 15 says this, Jesus, this conversation, this exchange that he's having with this woman, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, talking about that water at the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him 
will never thirst again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This woman was searching. She was looking via the circumstances of her life. She was there in the middle of the day when she shouldn't have been there. It didn't make any sense to be there. She was searching and she was longing. And she said, give, give me this water. I don't wanna have to keep coming to this well. I don't wanna keep searching. I don't wanna, I don't wanna keep longing. I love, I love the exchange between Jesus and this woman because I think oftentimes our expectation with people is that we present the gospel to them and that it'll just be like this and all their questions will be answered and everything will be resolved. But you see there was a process with this woman and as you, during your daily 20, as you read John chapter three and four this week, you're gonna see both with Nicodemus and this woman, there was a series of questions. There was a series of revelation that was coming into both Nicodemus's life and this woman's life. You see, restoration often comes in layers as revelation penetrates the chapters of a person's story. It wasn't just like Jesus said, hey, here I am, accept me, that's all there is to it. No, he allowed himself, he allowed himself to move through the layers of her questions. I wonder, maybe you don't do this, I wonder if, if, if I had been there, how, how, I would have, how I would have been able to handle that situation. When Jesus makes so clear to her the gospel and, and he says, I'm, I'm gonna give you this water and she, yet she continues to question him. She now wants to turn it into a religious argument. She wants to, there's more she needs to untangle and yet Jesus doesn't lose his patience with her. He stays engaged in the conversation with her. See, if you and I are going to be people who follow after the heart of God, who really believe in attributive dignity and practice attributive dignity, then we have to commit ourselves to a process with people. God told us, the Bible told us, Jesus told us to make disciples. Somehow along the way in the church, we have confused that and we have made it make converts. And we have equated converts to disciples. And we have made conversion a moment We've made conversion a destination rather than what God has called us to, what Jesus has commanded us to, which is to invite people into a process called discipleship. I'm preaching the truth right now. And what happens is people come to church or they come to a camp or they come to an event or we have a conversation with them and we say, pray this little prayer with me or, or believe this thing and, and, and we want them to say it the right way or do the right thing and, and they do it and then we expect that everything is just gonna be rosy in their life from that point forward. We expect that the woman who's been married five times and now is living with someone else is gonna go home and just be able to straighten it all up, Right? We expect that the attic isn't going to be addicted any longer. We expect that there isn't going to be any more cravings. We expect there isn't going to be any more struggles. We certainly expect there isn't going to be any more questions. You want to make people nervous? Start asking them questions. Yet Jesus stays there with that woman in that moment and continues to answer her questions because he knows he knows it's not about, it's not necessarily about the words and her question. It's about what's going on in her heart. And so he stays engaged in that process 
of seeing her heart become untangled, seeing her heart wrestle with these layers and these truths and allowing the revelation of his identity to penetrate the depths of her heart. Church, are we committed? Are we really committed to people? Not moments, but committed to people and processes and a person's journey and allowing the revelation of truth to penetrate all of the lies of the enemy. I mean, if you be honest with yourself this morning, how many of us, how many of us know that there are so many lies that the enemy has told us in so many ways that we have been hurt over the course of our life? We didn't, it didn't all just get resolved in one moment. It takes time. We have to be committed to time and we have to be committed to process with people. Restoration comes in layers as revelation penetrates and perhaps you're Nicodemus this morning or perhaps you're the woman at the well and even right now the Holy Spirit is penetrating your heart. Even right now the Holy Spirit is peeling back the various layers of questions and concerns. Here's the simple truth today. God's heart is that you move from a forgotten mindset to a fulfilled mindset. With Nicodemus, here was a man who had kept the law. He had followed after the law. He had done all the things he was supposed to do. And yet he risked everything to come to Jesus in the night and ask him, who are you? What is this really all about? This woman sits there with the Messiah, the King of the universe. I know, I know a Messiah is coming. And Jesus says to her, I, I am that Messiah. I don't wanna have to keep coming to this well. I don't wanna keep having to come and get this water. Jesus said, I am the answer. I have living water. When's, when's the last time? When's the last time your soul was really satisfied. Think about that for a second. Nicodemus searched for it in his religious practice. He searched for it by doing all the right things and knowing all the right things. And yet his soul still was longing for something. And he met Jesus. This woman was fighting for her very existence, going to the well every day. And she met Jesus. When's the last time you were really satisfied? When's the last time you took a drink and you walked away from that drink? And you're like, I'm full. I'm fulfilled. When's the last time you didn't feel like you were alone or forgotten? When's the last time you, you, you weren't, oh, I'm working so hard to do all the right things. Does anyone even know? Does anyone even see me? When was the last time, whether that's carrying those buckets in the heat of the day or toiling over those books late at night, you had moments where you were like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm seen. I don't know if I'm heard. The gospel for both Nicodemus and that woman was the same. The Messiah is here. The 
gospel for these kids that we're going to serve this week is the same. The Messiah is here. We do this because this is what the Father's done for every one of us in this room. And there's not a price that's too much. Oh, that's too much. We shouldn't do that much. Are you kidding me? There's not a too much. Because there wasn't a too much for you. There's not a too much for me. That's too much of an inconvenience. Oh, I think when I can see in Scripture, God's the kind of God that embraces inconvenience. Because of you and because of me. In fact, he's here today. He's here today because you're not forgotten. I believe the Lord wanted me to say to you today, you're not forgotten. You're not forgotten.